to The Mixtape with Scott, a podcast that provides an oral history of economics that covers the last 50 years of the profession, where I focus on my own interests in economics, like topics like Gary Becker's students, causal inference, as well as this large march of PhD economists out of academia and into the tech industry. But I run through these changes in important periods by first and foremost listening to the personal stories of economists from those topics as they walk me through their childhood to present and share. The, I also share the biography sometimes of their work, sometimes even the work's own origins. I'm your host, Scott Cunningham. This week, I had the wonderful opportunity to interview my old professor, Dr. George Seldrin. George is a one-of-a-kind economist from whom I learned a great deal. He's a real maverick. He taught all of us at Georgia how to be courageous. Uh, careful students of other people's work, listening carefully, always being curious, always being respectful, and engaging with people critically. His own work crosses and blends monetary theory with economic history to study something that he specialized in for a long time with Larry White called free banking. George has also written on the Industrial Revolution and is currently working on another new book. He now serves as the Director Emeritus of the Cato Institute Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives or is the editor-in-chief of the center's blog, Alt-M. In our conversation, we delved into his entire life, just like other podcasts, going back to when he grew up, his time with his family, his closeness with his brother, how he became interested in Austrian economics, his time at the New York University, where he studied with the famous Israel Kirzner, Larry White, and his time at George Mason. We didn't get to finish everything, so we left it open for a part two, depending on uh, whether I can get back around to it. I hope to talk to him some more. So thank you for tuning again. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can check out my Substack, Scott's Substack, where I try to regularly post what I call explainers about econometrics. Well, it is a real pleasure today to have uh, someone I've uh, known for a long time and admired for even longer. Uh, Dr. George Selgin. George, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Not at all, Scott. It's really good to be chatting with you again. Yeah. Okay. For the sake of the listener, uh, can you tell us your name, your job title, and who pays your paycheck? <laughs> Those questions are a little more complicated than you might realize. <laughs> the name is easy enough. That's George Selgin. And my job title is, is Senior Fellow and Director Emeritus uh, at, uh, of the Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives at the Cato Institute. Oh. My paycheck, I think, still comes from the Cato Institute, but shortly we'll have a different arrangement where I am working technically for another employer, and that has to do with my being in Grenada now. In oh. Grenada now. Okay, so you're in. How long have you been in? How long have you been in Grenada? I moved here on the 1st of October last year. Oh, why'd you pick that place? Well, uh, there were all kinds of reasons, including uh, uh, book learning, as usual oh. for me, that uh, drew me to Grenada. I had not been here but once uh, in 2021. Uh, which was long enough to convince me uh, that it was the place I wanted to live. I, I had been considering it, and I took that trip for the reason of making up my mind. <clears throat> and I, I can only say that uh, whatever my reasons were, <laughs> I have absolutely no regrets. I consider this place 
uh, probably as close as I'll get to paradise. Oh man. Wow. I don't think I've ever been. Which is telling you something else about me too. But <laughs> in any event, it's not bad. That's great. Well, let's start with an icebreaker. Okay. So what's a vacation that you went on as a kid that you sort of wish you could go back in time and do it again right oh, now? Oh my goodness. Um, I'm torn. My father took me on several vacations when I was quite young. And they were all great. Let me, mm, I'll mention the one he took me to, to the Caribbean. I think he took me on two trips to the Caribbean. The first one was to St. Bart's, St. Barthélemy. Yeah. Which this was in the days before it really, really, really became a jet set hangout. Yeah. But it was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful island. I didn't realize at the time, of course, that I was not only the the Caribbean I was seeing for the first time was uh, an especially nice sample of it. Yeah. And we stayed at a hotel that was later immortalized sort of by Jimmy Buffett called Autour de Rocher. <laughs> he made a song about it when he wrote about it, when Buffett wrote about it some years later, it was already becoming kind of a disco place and all. But when my dad and I were there, it was a lovely, elegant place, uh, sitting on the cliffs with a big rock in the middle, sure enough, uh, which is why it was named that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I just loved that trip. Uh, be I became a big fan of the Caribbean. I loved to swim and snorkel and later mm. on scuba dive. Yeah. Uh, and the food. I became a, my mom was a great cook, is a good cook still. But the food there was the French Antilles, spicy food. Uh -huh. Spicy French food, can't do better. And I became a huge fan of two things. First, the spiny lobster, and uh, and then boudin noir, spicy boudin noir, black pudding. Uh -huh. And uh, I think that that was my first real experience with food that was neither American nor Italian. Mm. That, that really turned me on to the possibilities out there. Yeah, that's great. You know, I did my, um, I went on my honeymoon to St. Bart's. Oh, you did? I, yeah, I was in, uh, we got like an incredible deal. Uh, and I can never remember his name. Is it Nurev, the Russian ballet dancer that mm -hmm. had his place there? We got, Nureyev. To, yeah, Nureyev. We got to stay. Uh, we, somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody gave us his, uh, or gave us a really cheap deal at his, uh, vacation home that was right on the rocks and he had this like oh, lovely real it was just absolutely i loved st bart's it would be expensive. that's a lovely place yeah how about that air air airport <laughs> yeah that's a fun flight <laughs> you're like yeah that's, not, that's, that, that that's one of the trickiest landings in, in any airport anywhere yeah where they they've got a highway on one end and the, <laughs> and the sea at the other yeah and they have to go they have to land so close they have to start very close to the highway. They the wheels practically touch the roofs of the cars. Yeah. In order to take advantage of the full length of the airstrip, because if they land too far down, which yeah. is easy enough to do if you don't want to get near the cars, right. you, you probably end up in the drink. Yeah. <laughs> which has happened more than once. Oh gosh, that's terrible. Oh yeah. I remember being I didn't quite I, they'd warned us, but I did not know what it was about to happen. Yeah, like, this it was is fun. scary. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, so where did you grow up and what did your parents do for a living when you were a little kid? 
Well, my mom was a housewife for much of my life, not all of it. She did some business and she was a very good business person. So if my mother made any money, she would squirrel it away and end up with uh, a, a lot more. My father was an electrical engineer, basically an inventor. And uh, mm. he, he had all kinds of patents and all that. Very, very brilliant man. We grew up, I grew up, uh, I say we because it was my twin brother, Peter and, and I, uh, we grew up in Connecticut, hmm. but uh, I actually was born in Bethesda, Maryland, hmm. so very close to D.C., where I was working until October. And um, my father was uh, an employee at the Bureau of Standards. Hmm. Now, he was Italian. Both my parents were Italian, but my dad had been in the United States for some time before he met my mother in Italy and then ended up marrying her and bringing her back to the United States. And I'll tell you a little story about that. So I was born in Bethesda, as I said. But soon after the family, my father decided to move. And he quit his very well-paying job at the Bureau of Standards. He was making quite a lot of money and went into business by himself, which seemed like an odd thing to do. But it makes perfect sense if you see a picture of my mother back then. And the explanation is simply that she was far, far too good looking for my <laughs> father to have been able to keep her if there was any competition whatsoever nearby. <laughs> so realizing that Washington was full of potential rivals, he upped and moved us to Connecticut to a small I haven't town. heard that explanation. Yeah, yeah. entrepreneurship. There, as far as I know, it was is only so that my father would have a better chance of not getting ditched by my mom. Marriage markets yeah, as a driver yeah. of entrepreneurship. I haven't heard yes. that before. Well, uh, that's right. I'm not sure that was a financially a smart move, but my parents did. My father did manage to keep my mother. It was uh, a close great. run thing now and then. Uh, <laughs> but he did manage to keep her, and uh, and he was lucky too because when he when he he was older and when he fell ill, my mom uh, oh. took very good care of him. So yeah. uh, he made the right moving to Bethel was the right move. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh in in that uh, yeah. regard yeah you and peter y'all y'all were close i've always gotten the sense that your your brother and you are really close we are i mean we we are fraternal twins we're not yeah. identical but we're very close he's we, an artist what's that is he an he's artist a, he's he's an artist a writer he he got all the the right side of the brain <laughs> and, a, and a pretty good amount of left brain yeah. And I got some left brain and not very much right brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh he he was everything, uh a writer, singer, uh, uh. actor, um, painter, caricaturist, anything that's on that side of the brain, my brother is not just pretty good at, but extremely good at. Yeah. So uh where does he we, live? He lives in Georgia, and my mom is now down there in Georgia with Peter. Oh. As you know, uh, of course, uh, you and I were in Georgia together. Yeah. Uh, so the whole Selgin family, one way or the other, has ended up uh, at Georgia at some point. Uh -huh. Unfortunately, um, my brother came down there uh, uh, just three years or so before I left. So we didn't overlap for that long. <clears throat> Was he in Athens? No, he's in Milledgeville. Oh, he, okay. uh, 
he got a teaching job in Milledgeville and he had to do that because he was doing freelance in New York City and then he had a child and he realized he needed a more steady income. Yeah. So uh, he, he went he, he went searching for teaching jobs and eventually mm -hmm. landed that one. And I would go visit him on my motorcycle. It was a lovely drive from Athens down to uh, Milledgeville and he lived on the lake there. Very pretty. Oh, wow. But that only lasted three years. And then uh, I went to D.C., which I didn't I didn't want to go to D.C. I despised D.C. Mm -hmm. I still do. <laughs> I'm sorry, DC <laughs> people, but yuck. and um, <laughs> but I went because uh, John Allison at Cato offered me a, a, a job opportunity. I really couldn't pass up. And there's yeah. an interesting story there we can talk about. Anyway, uh, after I was in D.C., my mother, my brother got my mother to sell her place in Connecticut. It was no longer the one we grew up in. That's been raised to the ground, alas. And uh, she joined him in Milledgeville, where, she, where where they both live now. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, well, so when you were, when you were in school in Connecticut, if I had like, looked on your bookshelf because you've always seemed like a real you know a real a big reader if you if i had looked on your bookshelf when you were a high school student would you would i have would i have found a bunch of books and if so what what might be some of the books i would see yeah it, toward the certainly by the time i was uh, a, a senior um i had a lot of books i had these two bookcases mm. uh three foot bookcases and I refinished them and put one on top of the other so I could have a proper six foot bookcase. Yeah. And um and they were loaded up with books. And by the end it was economics. Which oh, became, really? By the end of high school? By, by the end of high school, I was starting to get interested in economics. I became much more interested later on. Mm -hmm. And then um but uh before that, uh, my main interest was marine biology and oceanography. Oh. But I read all all sorts of stuff. But the marine biology and oceanography interest went way back, way back. Um, I used to, I used to, uh, as a, a a child of about, about five years old, I used to pretend I was scuba diving on the living room floor, you know. And uh. I remember watching Sea Hunt and and uh, uh, another show that didn't last long called The Aquanauts. Uh. I liked The Aquanauts more because they had single hose regulators and I thought those were really cool. They didn't look <laughs> as cool when you cut them. Anyway, <laughs> so my 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 uh, my my passion was marine biology, oceanography. Huh. If I could have chosen any career uh and time was not uh, uh an issue, I would have crewed on the Calypso. Uh -huh. So that would Oh, have been wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 Well, so how, what was your first, do you remember your first experience where economics was sort of, uh, sort of you, your first experience with economics? Well, um, I had read a little bit of economics. I think the first, if I, if I really had to say the first experience, it was in high school, I had a teacher who taught a course on American economic history mm. and, uh, Wow, I, in, at, I, in high school. Yeah, yeah. He taught an economic history course, American history course, from an e using an economics perspective. Oh, wow. 
And I remember quite well, by the way, I was not a good high school student. I, I was a huge troublemaker. I, I really was a very serious troublemaker. I mean, they thought I was a delinquent. I have, I still have some letters written by my homeroom teacher about how awful I was. Anyway, um, Mr. I, this maybe was it high school, you know, it might've been, this might've been earlier than high school. I can't remember anymore, but it might've been, a, uh, it might've been middle school. Mr. Blum taught the class. Uh -huh. And uh, I remember being quite impressed because I had not realized before that history wasn't just a, a story of things that happen. Right something where you could explain why things happen oh. there were reasons why this happened instead of that and mm -hmm. that's what that's what that approach of course did and i thought that's cool <laughs> you know? oh, that is but at the time I, at the time i didn't form any uh I, I had no plans to become an economist that happened later on and that was a result of two things i became an economist for two things and both had to do with my family Mm. Uh, the first was my pain in the ass brother <laughs> because every time I would try to do something if I tried to do any acting or if I tried to sing or if I tried to make a painting and all he had to do it better than me <laughs> so that's why he became he became he became really good in the arts for one single reason which was to be better and outshine me yeah <laughs> so so I, I'm thinking, all right, everything I try, I can't compete with Peter. If I try out for the school play, he's going to get the part. If I try out for course, he's going to get that. If I, whatever, if I try to get a girl, he's going to get her. Usually he got them after I got them, but never mind. <laughs> anyway, I, I, uh, I said, well, you know, I've got to come up with something that my brother's no damn not going to be interested in because it's so boring and square and all that. And marine biology was a little risky in that regard. It had a certain amount of glamour, and who knows, Peter might show up, you know, next thing <laughs> with my job and the Calypso, telling me to go clean out the cabins and things like that. So I decided I, economics would be good. Yeah. Peter would want to be economist. Nobody cared about economists then. Now they seem to like them a little bit more, or at least you find them more interesting. Uh-huh. So that was one of it. There was my brother, I have to find something Peter's not going to try to outcompete me in. Then it, my father encouraged me to be an e economist. He told me what this was in, when I was already at school. He said I should get I should consider majoring in economics because I was mm -hmm. going to do biology. I did do bio, I did zoology. I remember that. Now this all makes sense. I remember this. Yeah, and he yeah, said, yeah. Uh, you should you should study economics. Now my father never gave serious advice to my brother and me i think he thought we were mentally dis disturbed uh, <laughs> and and hopeless i really do my father was so bright you know and he was an only child he never saw young kids you know goofing around so when he saw us uh doing so which we did all the time uh i'm sure he he looked at us and thought okay well no need to worry about them <laughs> <laughs> He'll get some unskilled labor jobs and whatever, go play in the street. Anyway, so 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 he gives me this piece of serious advice. You know, yeah. He wasn't it wasn't a joke. Right. I was waiting for the punchline. It didn't come. So I, I had taken a class already at Drew University, mm -hmm. which listeners will probably know as 
as uh, it's a it's a very famous liberal arts college uh it's it's outstanding for the fact that it's considered the the harvard of the center of, of northern new jersey uh but but people dispute that uh, that is just about everyone who's not at Drew university or part of its administration disagrees because, <laughs> uh well, they don't all disagree, but Fairleigh Dickinson claims that it is the Harvard of the center of northern New Jersey. So whether I really attended the Harvard of the center of northern New Jersey or not is something controversial. It's, it's, it's controversial. Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm there majoring in zoology. My father gives me this advice. Well, I took a course. I had already taken a course in um environmental economics which uh, of course tied into my other interests oh in yeah life. right and i really liked that class a lot i found it quite uh informative and, and what year sensible. would this have been george this would have been what like 1970 uh 1970 fall fall of 1974 Five is when I started grad school. Drew had an environmental economics class in the mid seventies. Yes, yes, they had a class that I think it was called environmental economics. Oh. I'm not sure that was the title, but that's what it was about. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, and it was good class. So when my father told me I should pursue, I said okay, and I started taking more econ classes. I I was able to fit enough in with what I had to double major, which I eventually did. But it was only later on, uh, two things happened subsequently. First, I ended up somehow, and this was no thanks to the professors at Drew, becoming interested in market-oriented economics. That happened at Drew, became interested in uh, uh, monetarism and uh, the Austrians a little bit. Didn't know much at about Drew. That. At Drew, you started at Drew, getting yeah. At Drew, I read everything. I went to the library. I would come back. I would sit in the cafeteria with stacks of books, not talking to anyone and reading. I read everything I could get my hands on. That's when I really became passionate about reading in economics. Was at Drew, mm. and um, and anyway, somehow uh, uh, I ended up on the on the more free market end of things in my inclinations. Uh, you remember of, what what writer that triggered that? I don't know that that there was a specific economist. Like many people, I read Rand's Atlas Shrugged, and that made an impression on me, and that was part of it. I also had a a a, 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 a dorm mate who is now chief justice in the state of Arizona, Clint Bullock, and you may have heard of him, and we were very, very, very close friends. Hmm. And uh, and he was uh, he started out as a conservative when hmm. I met him. I was more on the left. And hmm. we both had these discussions, and Clint had a very big influence on me. Uh, oh. And uh, um, uh, so anyway, I started to get more interested in that sort of economics, mm -hmm. but but uh, not to an extent that was you know uh, made that much difference while I was at Drew because I still was interested in marine biology and all that. And to make a long story short, uh, uh, I tried to pursue a career that combined my now 
two double interests of economics and marine biology, and that turned out to be a flop. But what what happened was uh, uh, that I subsequently found out the hard way from my father that the reason he wanted me to study economics was because he could not stand these free market economists like Milton Friedman. And he would say he would say he he loathed them. And <laughs> and we did nothing but argue. Sadly, so this, so this like uh, your your trajectory just kind of confirmed for him that you were just a big troublemaker. Hopeless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopeless. He was, now he was sure I was an idiot. And uh, <laughs> he had always thought so. And and um yeah, so we argued about everything. And my father was uh, kind of a socialist. He actually subscribed to the German, East German magazine that was kind of like Soviet life and all that. I remember huh. one time we were arguing about something and I said, Papa, how, how could you read that propaganda? And he said, well, it's no different from the U.S. magazines. I said, which one? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I've always said, I thought it was quite natural for my dad to have the views he had because he uh, was an engineer yeah. and he was very, very smart. Uh, mm -hmm. And now let's say you're an engineer and you're really, really, really smart, but you don't know a lick of economics. Yeah. Why should you believe things are just going to work out uh, market forces, spontaneous order, invisible hand, laissez-faire, all that? Why? What would make you think that? Yeah. yeah. The reason The reason economics is to me, an interesting subject is because it explains the potential for uh, mm -hmm. spontaneous orders and, and, and how human societies can figure things out and work together, not always having to be uh, 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 steered by some overseeing uh, power. Right. Uh, not everything has to be done by the state. Right. And my, my work, my study of environmental economics really helped me in that direction, I should say, because mm. we're reading about ecology and we're reading about ecological communities and this stupid Corps of Engineers comes in, builds a dam and everything goes completely haywire yeah. because they've intervened to accomplish goal X. They haven't considered the subtle self-regulating processes that work in an ecosystem that they've now uh, uh, tried to reshape towards some particular end, and everything ends up backfiring, including the reservoirs getting filled in with uh, with the sediment and uh, important species being killed off. So I'm already primed before right. I really take economics seriously because oh, you're think about uh, to think about uh, self ordering processes. Yeah. Except now it's human beings and human communities instead mm. of uh, 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 animalian ecosystems. So I'm already thinking in those terms and thinking right. of intervention is a very dangerous thing, top yeah. down. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so for me, to that, it, it, oddly enough, um, yeah. my interest in ecology and, and, and I also. That was kind of like an on ramp immediately into. Kind of yeah, yeah. Explain, explain, yeah, yeah. And I've always liked the the parallels between uh, ecology and economics. I've always thought of economics as just ecology for human societies. I love Jane Jacobs' little book comparing uh, the two disciplines, and mm -hmm. uh, and all her other books for that matter. She's, she has a book where she compares the discipline of economics to. Oh yes, oh yeah. Oh. I think it's called uh, the nature of economics, but I'm not sure. That's I'm oh. right about the title. 
But well, she, she has that. You didn't ever meet her. Book on, uh, she has a wonderful book on ethics called Systems of Survival that everybody who's interested in ethics ought to read. It's extreme. Oh, I've only read Death and Life of Great American Cities. Yeah, yeah. That had a huge yeah, impact yeah. on me. Don't stop with that. Uh, oh, okay. Nothing wrong with it. But her other books, uh, they're very wide ranging and they're all yeah. very good. Okay. Anyway, so, uh, so here I am with my father having these horrible arguments. He softened up. I didn't change much. He softened up. Uh, anyway, I thought it was quite natural for, for him to to have the views he had because he hadn't studied uh, economics. Unfortunately, he thought he knew it without studying it or yeah. enough to argue with me about everything. Then after the fall of the Berlin Wall and Soviet Union and all that, um, he started to change his mind. He started to ease up. He was also getting older, uh, and um, and by the time by the time I got tenure at uh, University of Georgia with a nice letter from Milton Friedman, among others, uh. my father was very proud of me. Mm. After he passed away in two thousand, I wrote to Milton. At that time, I was about to go up for full professor, yeah. which I had to do in a hurry because all the associate professors had voted against me for promotion. So I, I needed to leapfrog you needed to jump past them. before they got full. Anyway, um, uh, the, I wrote to Milton and told him the story of how my father helped persuade me to become an economist because he hated Milton, among others. Yeah, And uh, Milton was born the same year as my dad. Uh, anyway, Milton had a, got a real kick out of that letter. Yeah. <laughs> so you you and Friedman would interact a little bit. Yeah, we. I mean, um, I was going to say we interacted a lot. That's not quite right. Uh, but we had a regular correspondence. I have a thick oh. sheet of of letters uh, that uh, we exchanged, and we met on several occasions, including one particularly delightful time when I was in hong kong and um uh, uh, there's a funny story there too uh but um <clears throat> but we would exchange letters all the time what's remarkable is that uh he always responded at length mm. and 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 that it wasn't just me of course but he kept up correspondence with all kinds of people i don't mm. know how and i was particularly tickled <clears throat> By his last le letter, I had written something to him. Um, I had written something to him. Uh, I don't remember exactly what it concerned. Um, and uh, he, he wrote back three or four, and maybe it was a couple of weeks later, two or three weeks later. Mm. And the beginning of his letter to me is just him profusely apologizing for taking so long to reply. Mm. Think about that. You know, think about it. He's one of the most famous economists on the planet. God knows how many letters he gets. And yeah. he's apologizing for to little old me. Yeah. I was very, very, very touched by that. I uh, mm. thought it was kind of absurd, frankly, but in a touching way. Huh. He was a very kind, generous person. And uh, I don't, I don't let people 
be nasty to Milton Friedman around me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that uh, a big part a of your edu- was that correspondence a big part a big part of your intellectual kind of development having that kind of heady correspondence somebody taking your views seriously and back and yet back and forth was that a big part yeah, of your I, certainly was part of it uh, yeah. you know a lot of it concerned things like when when Kurt Schuler and I were advising the Lithuanian government on currency boards and all that for example yeah. uh, I was talking to Milton or writing him getting his feedback and oh. and, there, and he would contain a lot of interesting things I remember then he said look your plan has too many moving parts and you know some of them probably won't go through and uh you know oops are you still there yeah I'm here okay uh my screen for some reason I'm just gonna check my oh I see what's happening my plug wasn't properly plugged in so I fixed it okay. um the uh he said you have to have a plan so that if any you know so not everything has to work whatever survives whatever gets through the congress or whatever the the legislature is 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 at least going to accomplish something desirable it was very good advice Mm. as this the the lithuanians didn't didn't follow our plan at all uh, except they did years later after the first one flopped which we told them it would yeah. And uh, so, but um, anyway, yeah, I learned a lot from Milton, but I also, I also kept up a fairly extensive uh, correspondence with several other economists, one of whom was Leland Yeager. Uh, Yeager and I corresponded all the time. He, he, he's another of my absolute favorite economists. Yeah, you, I remember. He was a wonderful, school, wonderful man. Wonderful I remember man. in grad school, you would assign him to your, to your money students or, yeah. or, or I just got the sense from somehow our interactions. He was a big person to you. Yeah, he was, he was. And I loved him. I loved his company. I, I, I can't think of a person whose company I enjoyed more. And another big influence was Dick Timberlake. And Dick, oh, yeah. Dick, Dick and I, of course, you knew Dick at Georgia. Dick and I were like brothers. Mm. So he was much older than me. We, I mean, we were like brothers. We made jokes. We didn't have to even explain anything to each other. You know, it was all understood. Um, I was very, very, very close to Dick. Um, Anna Schwartz was another person oh. who I was close to, who was wonderful, who had wonderful conversations. She was always extremely helpful. Um, and 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 there were others. Uh, David Laidler was a big influence. Uh, somebody I thought very. Was this high a community of people? I mean, I know uh, of obviously Friedman, but like, is there a group of you? These are primarily monetary theorists and banking. These were all writers. monetary people. Yeah, yeah, they were all monetary economists. How did y'all Most find back then? You know, before. Uh, I mean, wh- how were you interacting with these people? Is it conferences or is it just personal correspondence? Both. Uh huh. You know, whenever you saw, of course, you'd see, I'd see him now and then at conferences. Yeah. But mostly, mostly was correspondence. Uh, uh, obviously, I got to know them personally uh, through various events. I yeah. met I met Dick Timberlake for the first time in 1982 uh-huh. at a conference we both attended in uh, Tuxedo, New York, mm. for something called the Committee for Monetary Research and Education. <laughs> And uh, so I went up to Dick. <clears throat> I was still a grad student, of course. Uh, I went up to him, introduced myself. I knew who he was. 
and we started talking and he started telling me about this paper he was writing about um clearinghouse mm. and uh, of course it later was published a highly regarded paper and as he was telling me about the paper i said well well do you think do you think that i can't remember what it was called but uh, i'll just invent a phrase for it do you think that the reserve compensation plan was a good idea or not and he loved me ever since because <laughs> <laughs> At that point, he realized that I had read a lot about the clearinghouses and and knew a lot of this history. Yeah. Anyway, we we hit it off, and he was a lovely, lovely man. Another yeah. person I should mention among my mentors, uh, and this, of course, is apart from my real mentor, Larry White, mm. uh, was uh, is Charles Goodhart. Uh, Charles Goodhart, another very, very kind man who uh, uh, whose work I admired a great deal who has been extremely generous to me and supportive. And I particularly valued the support of people like Charles and also David Laidler, mm. who were not, you know, uh, considered free market or libertarian or anything like that. Because um, with them, I knew, though I know, I think this was true also of, of most of the others. With them, I knew that um, it wasn't a question of, them approving of my ideology or anything like that which i never never really wanted me and i don't want anybody to like me because of my politics yeah which i consider unimportant right i i i i always hope that people take me seriously for my work mm -hmm. um there's this you know so so my first interact, my first time, you know, reading about you, and I've told you this was, uh, uh, I was not even planning on being an economist. I, but I found I was reading the Austrians, and I found your pamphlet on praxeology, and I read that thing back and forth, uh, and loved it. And that was one of the, you know, one of the reasons I picked Georgia. I picked Georgia for a few reasons, but, you know, my familiarity with you was one of them. And there was all these Austrian kind of fellow travelers or, or Austrian people at Georgia at the time. And so I know, but the, as I've gotten to know you, you know, I've definitely gotten the sense that, you know, you're, that you're your own person. Uh, and in a way that maybe sometimes, well, I won't say Austrians are not their own person, but you, you sort of always felt very different like that you weren't a part of anything. You just were George Selgin and an intellectual and, and, and a very intelligent economist doing his own kind of work and reasoning. So I was, I have this, with that kind of backdrop, there's this opening line to Charles Dickens, a tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the, epoch of incredulity it was the season of light it was the season of darkness all right so with that line in mind i wanted to talk a little bit about your personal journey through austrian economics as both a intellectual field but also a community uh as as it was in your life so thinking back what would you consider tell me a little bit about the best of times both of it in your life and what you would consider to be the best of times for Austrian economics as a field? Well, uh, you know, uh, 
my my introduction to Austrian economics, uh, my serious introduction to it, um, for my being sorry, I'm trying to close something that seems to be hogging up a lot of memory. I hope that helps. Oh, hold on a sec. Well, for some reason, it won't close this file. Um, hold on, Scott. Let me try one more time. Sure. Okay, I think I've closed down. Word is becoming a pain in the ass. I don't know why. <laughs> it's um, going to be even more when this new AI stuff gets integrated. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why. Uh, it seems to now be... Very all you're gonna have to do in a year, all you're gonna have to do in a year, George, is just go to Chat GPT and Gee, say, "Hold on a second, I'm finish my, my book on the New Deal." You're just gonna tell Chat GPT to finish it, and it'll finish yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, um, there you are. So, uh, I knew a little bit about Austrian economics uh, def uh, you know, before I I went to NYU. Uh -huh. What happened was I was studying at the University of Rhode Island. You were and, studying there? Yeah, I was in the master's program in marine resource economics. Oh, so you I, weren't yet committed after at Drew that you were going to go this route into econ. Well, it was both. It was my oh. it was part of my attempt to marry my two interests of uh, uh, economics and marine biology. So it's marine resource economics. Oh, you were doing resource economics. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, marine. And uh to make a long story short, uh, I I I I wasn't I found the program there kind of boring, mm -hmm. and um, I was supposed to go to Honduras as a Peace Corps volunteer, mm -hmm. and I had gotten to the point of being inducted into the Peace Corps. It was a very long, complicated, difficult process to. Mm -hmm. I've lost you. Get myself assigned to a particular and uh, and uh, yeah, are we here now? Am I here now? Yeah. Am I here? Okay. I don't know what my computer's doing, Scott. It's usually not that this, so I'm tr trying to turn off a bunch of stuff. Give me a second to try. Sure, and I'm going to pause it real quick. Okay, Scott, sorry. That's okay. All right. Yeah. So let's, so you were saying uh, at, at Rhode Island, actually, you were talking about Rhode Island. Yeah, I was at Rhode Island and uh, <clears throat> I was studying marine resource economics. I got disenchanted with the program. Uh, I had planned, I had arranged to go to Honduras as a Peace Corps volunteer and work on a project down there. Long story that goes back to my days as a student uh, briefly at Auburn University, where mm. I didn't study Austrian economics. I studied aquaculture, fish farming. Mm. And I could tell you all kinds of stories about that. But anyway, I'm up in Rhode Island and I I tried, uh, I arranged to go to Honduras, but then my professor, one of the professors up there said, oh, don't go there. That place is a mess. Uh, I'll get you out to Indonesia to study the, the shrimp and other farms out there. And mm. Indonesia was a magic word for me then. And mm. I said, okay. So I called the Honduran desk officer for the Peace Corps and told him, forget it. And if somebody could have strangled me over the phone, it would have happened then. Uh, anyway, but then the piece, the the Indonesia thing fell apart. Mm. I couldn't see. It eventually occurred to me that it didn't seem to be happening. the The resource economics program was 
really boring. There are only so many Hamiltonians you can take. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's and so, um, so I got interested at the same time in inflation. Inflation mm -hmm. is 1980. Inflation is getting, it's very, very serious. And yeah. I'm reading everything I can read about money and inflation. That's when I became interested in monetary economics. Oh. And I read shelves of books, all of them more or less bad, as far as I could determine <laughs> yeah. in explaining what was happening. Yeah. Until I got to, I, got, I read the theory of money and credit. Uh huh. The whole thing. And I thought, wow, this is really good. That was really It is Keynes, theory of money and credit. No, no, this is Mises' theory oh, of money. Oh, Mises' credit. theory of money credit. Okay, got it. Theory right. of money credit on Mises, 1912. Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and then I got to Hayek. I read Denationalization of Money, and I thought, oh my God, this is weird. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I thought, you know, I I really am curious about this. Anyway, uh. I, things get complicated because a lot of things start happening at once. Uh, mm. I, quit, I quit the program at URI. One of my professors there points out to me that there's an Austrian program at NYU. He, he notices, me, he knows that you're he like, knows I'm interested in that. Yeah. And he hands me a copy of the Austrian economics newsletter with a picture of Kersner on the front. Oh, so I'm like, Oh, these people still exist. exist. Right. Cool. I signed up for a summer research grant from the Institute for Humane Studies, which was then still at Menlo Park, hmm. to do a summer project on, uh, I think what I called it was free banking and the monopoly in money. Hmm. And what, what I did in that project was the paper, somebody posted it. I don't know how they got a copy. Somebody posted the paper on Twitter once. Really? <laughs> Yeah, a PDF. Can you believe it? I don't know where they found it. Anyway, I don't even have a copy. They, 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 uh, 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 the, the idea was, let's go through American banking history and see whether it was all the government's fault. Oh. Uh, and I did. And it felt like shooting fish in a barrel, to be honest. <laughs> I was like, this is actually a pretty good way to look at this stuff. <laughs> anyway, I write that. And in the course of doing that work with IHS uh, uh, supporting me, it was like 1500 bucks, you know, but back then that was that's like a lot of money back then. Yeah, yeah, it was all right. And uh, Walter Grinder, who was the kind of the intellectual, you know, uh, leading spirit, the late Walter Grinder at uh, IHS then <clears throat> shared with me some chapters from what was then Larry White's dissertation. Mm. So, in the where meantime, did Larry do his doctorate? At UCLA under Leyenhofer. Oh, okay. In the meantime, I think I've I've already applied to the NYU program. And Larry, Larry's an assistant professor at this time at, at NYU. No, no, Larry's a grad student. Oh, 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 he's not finished yet. Okay. So I wrote to Larry because I really liked his chapters on Scottish banking. I wrote to him and I said, uh, "When you get your." When you're done and you get a job, tell me where. I I think I'd like to come study with you. Mm. I didn't know that you were supposed to study with famous seasoned professors who will help you get a job later on. But Larry <laughs> was the one doing the work that interested me. So absolutely, I, I made the unusual move of choosing to to, to have as a, my advisor somebody who just got a job. Yeah. Well, Larry Larry wrote to me and said he got a job at NYU. 
Mm. And then, I don't know if it was before or later, I got a call. It was around midnight. I got a call. Uh, at this time, I'm back at my folks' home in Connecticut. I yeah. got a call. This is, is, is Israel Kersner. I'm calling to let you know that uh, we've been, we're going to grant you a full, full fellowship to come. Then, why? Anyway, so I, I have a, now, I said, Professor Kersner, you can call me in. He said, I'm sorry for calling you late. I said, oh, you can call me anytime with that news. So now I've got my fellowship. I got Larry, and we all converge. We we converge at NYU at the same time. Yeah, and that's how uh, I set off on my path to be uh, to do research on free banking. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And, so uh, yeah. NYU, what was NYU like? I mean, uh, you know. So NYU was two things. NYU was the Austrian program, which I was part of. That's why I could have a fellowship. I didn't have to do any teaching or anything like that. Was von Mises there? No, no, no. Mises had been dead. Oh, uh, he'd, he'd been dead. Okay. Yeah, Mises had taught sort of at NYU. I always uh, heard that. Sometime before, but never as a faculty member. He was just like an adjunct that would just pick up classes? Not even. It was a special arrangement, a private arrangement. Oh. Anyway, uh, the details of which now escape me. I may yeah. have known it sometime. Anyway, I know I I, I uh, missed uh, uh, Mises. I, I met Hayek, ah. uh, but I never met. I could have. I, I couldn't have met Mises unless I'd been much more precocious than I was. Mm. So um, anyway, I did meet. I did meet uh, Richard Ebeling mm. uh, in those early days at NYU. We hung out. I hung out with Richard a lot, and that that's the closest thing you can have to to meeting Ludwig von Mises. Uh, since Mises uh, died, oh. uh, Richard Ebeling. He's huh. the closest thing. Okay. Richard won't mind me saying that. <laughs> I actually uh, don't know that connection. Well, he was yeah. a co-author of Mises, or what was he, just close with no, him? No, he was just uh, one of the greatest students of uh, oh, Mises. Oh, he was a student of uh, von Mises. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He knew, knows everything there is to know about von Mises. Oh, I see. Okay. So you're at and, NYU. So you're at NYU. Larry's there. So, so there's two. So there's two things at NYU. There's the Austrian program of which I was a part, which, by the way, required you to do everything an ordinary and yeah. a grad student had to do, plus mm -hmm. attend the Austrian seminar and otherwise be part of that program. And then because NYU course, is at that time just like today, it's a mainstream uh, neoclassical. Very mainstream. Very yeah. mainstream. And uh, so. I enjoyed it. I mean, the Austrian seminar was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, there were all these people there. They're very, very interesting. And some of them actually ended up getting their degrees like me. Mm. <laughs> I think it was the exception rather than the rule to actually finish. I may yeah. be wrong about that. Yeah. And um, and that was that was very stimulating, those seminars and other discussions and, and all that uh, Taking classes, I took classes with Maclup. I took a class with Kirstner. Uh, uh, I never took a class with Larry White. You didn't? Uh, no, I never took a class with Larry. He wasn't uh, teaching graduate stuff. That I think that may be right. Yeah, oh, he okay. may not have taught. I'm not sure. I don't remember. But in any event, I didn't take a class with him. Huh. I, I would go into his office and talk, and sometimes mm. Larry would say something too. <laughs> quiet. Wait, so was your field was it was it macro or monetary money? i was monetary they, so they had a monetary field 
Yes, they did. Okay. Yeah. And it was Larry that was your main dissertation advisor? Yes, Larry was my advisor. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anna was on my committee, though later she forgot and insisted she was. Anna wasn't. Schwartz? Yes, I went I went upstairs and said, would you be on my committee, which nobody ever did. And there's Anna Schwartz. And if you don't take advantage of that, you're dumb. You're crazy. So, yeah. So, so I had Anna on my committee. Oh, wow. And, What's um, she like? What was she like? Well, I adored Anna. She yeah. was wonderful. I have uh, I have on my Alt-M site, you know, I, I occasionally I'll write a little memorial when people pass away who I cared about uh, yeah. economists. Uh -huh. And I wrote one about Anna. I wrote one about Dick. I wrote one about Leland. And uh, she was terrific. Uh, yeah. she, was, she, uh, she didn't hold back. She was tough. Mm. She was uh, smart. And um, she liked me, <laughs> which mm. was nice. And uh, always very kind. Always. What did she think about? What did she think about this work that you and Larry start doing together? Well, I remember very distinctly, <clears throat> Anna said to me, look, you know, don't put all your eggs in this free banking basket or you're going to get chewed up and spat out. Uh, kind of happened anyway on a couple occasions, but yeah. I did take her advice and actually relatively not that much of my publication publication record is is free banking. It's yeah. It's a little bit. But right. it's not a lot. The book was the first book was my dissertation, hmm. so I diversified so I wouldn't get you know uh, yeah. uh, treated as a one note Johnny. Right. Um, and I still got when I got fired from George Mason, uh, the offend uh, the official reason given by by my then department head yeah. that I was too narrowly focused on free banking uh, and um, was that a was, ten year denial or was it like no. Third year, third year review, review. They gave me the hevo. It's an interesting story that I probably shouldn't repeat here. But oh shoot, I wish I, you would. I will tell you, it's, <laughs> it's it was very very bad. Not was it me. was that very it was, was it emotionally nasty. very difficult for you to have of go course. through something like that? Yeah, I got fired a week before my wedding day. Oh, do you see it yeah. coming? Not really. Uh, uh, it started with getting fired from by the Austrian. The Austrians fired me. Um, the Austrians like intellectually fired you yeah, because they, you're like because you're like heterodox a little bit. No, <laughs> I'll tell you very bluntly. They fired me because I was publishing too much. They told me to quit, cut it out, and I wouldn't. That is mm. the literal. And then they came up with a bunch of trumped up reasons. Who are the Austrians me? back then? Who who who's who's active? I mean, you I have to name names. Well, okay, I don't know who these people are. Yeah, I mean, I know yeah, Peter. Let's not name names. Let people look them up. Go Wait, ahead, so, look it up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're anyway, they uh, were the ones, and then of that course, was the pretty. The that was what, was it rid. traumatizing? Would you say? Would you use a word like traumatizing, or would you say it's less well, than? Well, I don't want your listeners to think that you know I'm a basket case or anything like that. But I got over it. But <laughs> sure. it was rough at the time. It, yeah. It, yeah, it almost ended my career because who wants a used Austrian who's just been booted out of George Mason? Yeah, and and really, I couldn't get another job or wouldn't have been able to get another job, except that I'd spent the summer before in Hong Kong and with John Greenwood mm. and learning about currency boards and all that, <clears throat> and I knew the folks at at University of Hong Kong, mm. the, the then department head Stephen Chung. 
Mm. One can tell stories all, all week. Mm. And I, I, I knew they were looking for people. They needed people. So I said to myself, well, you know, if I go to Hong Kong, nobody's going to look askance at it because everybody will think that's really an interesting thing to do, which it was. So it won't look bad on my CV and it'll keep me, you know, on my feet for a while till something else comes up. But if it hadn't been for that escape route, I would have give, had to give up hmm. my career as an economist right then. Oh, there. what a great opportunity. What, what a fortuitous what a fortuitous thing. They must have been so grateful. Well, uh, I mean, for Hong Kong working out and being that lifeline. Yeah, it was a big change, of course. Uh, sure. and, uh, uh, but anyway, it tidied me over till uh, uh, I was able to come back uh, for the job at Georgia. Yeah. Where they also tried to fire me for my whole career there. They were trying <laughs> to fire Somebody was always trying to fire me. Yeah. And every place I've ever worked, people have been trying to fire me. And, yeah. And, it just at some point you're like you you just it it gets to be does it get easier and easier or is it no, rising not exactly, costs no. I've fired? always wanted to work someplace where everybody loved me. Where everybody wants you there. I'm just, I'm just I not hear it's that better to, Yeah, I hear <laughs> I hear it's better to work a place where they want you. Yeah, um, it is better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so. you know, George. Okay, I am absolutely loving our conversation, and I want to propose because these are only hour blocks. Yeah. Um, that maybe we could have a part two conversation and, um, and, yeah. uh, cause I, I, I love this story, uh, and you know, we're, and I, I love you very much. And so you've been such a, just such a surprisingly, uh, cause I didn't ultimately take any classes with you, but you were always just, you know, you, you came to my dissertation defense, you read my dissertation, you were, that had nothing to do with money. I've just always been such a deeply uh deep deep admirer and look up to you and so i would love to have a second conversation if we can sure, i gotta go yeah. pick up a job market candidate right now okay yeah. <laughs> i'd be glad to let's pick up where we left off i was Absolutely. about to tell you about the other side of my nyu experience i can't wait i can't wait i have always I wanted to learn support. yeah no i actually have always been really interested in nyu is this uh thing that I don't really understand about, you know, the, what, what it, what it was with that little Austrian piece. So I want to come back to that, but I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. This is part one, hopefully, and we'll do a part two and I'll follow up with you where we can set it up. Okay, Scott. Okay. All right. All right. Bye, George. Gonna see us soon.